Changes in Leadership Football teams, corporate giants, universities, nations, and even churches have to face these frightening times of transition. How do you decide who to follow? Our program is called Truth Encounter because with our study leader, Dave Wurtson, we turn to a section of the bestseller of all time, the Bible, and examine what it has to say. Today, we turn to the conclusion of Moses' classic, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, and discover that it's decision time. Let's join Dave and discover some principles that will help us when we face those moments of decision. The Cowboys have to face decision time. You say, what are we talking about? They're going to have to decide whether the guy that's been yelling at them in practice and motivating them, trying to teach them how to play the game the way he wants to play it. It's decision time. Every football team has to face that. And you really don't know what the decision's going to be until you're out there in real life and you've got to face that challenge. Will I play ball for this new guy, for this new person? You know, as football teams face that decision uh, in Disney. They had a big shakeup in their leadership. One of their real brilliant young guys had moved right to the top, and he really wanted to move up into the higher echelons, and it was decision time for them. He needed to decide you know, what his loyalties were going to be. Was he going to stay with his mentor? Was he going to stay with the guy that helped him get started? Or was he going to go out on his own? And it was decision time, and, and even Wall Street reacted to that decision that was made. As an individual, he had to decide, what am I going to do with my life? Nations face those kind of choices. Our own nation faced decision time when they signed the Declaration of Independence and when we began to fight the British. We faced another major decision in the time of Lincoln when we had to decide, you know, are we going to be a United States or are we going to be two or three or four or five or six different countries? The Civil War was a major decision time in our country. We have another election time and it's decision time. This morning what I want to talk to you about from Deuteronomy chapter 30 is decision time. Because Moses is bringing the conclusion of his message to its conclusion. Like a lot of preachers, it takes them a long time to conclude. But he started out in Deuteronomy 28 talking about the blessings and the cursings. And his basic point was that every one of you need to realize that there are consequences to the decisions that you make in life. In other words, every one of you are going to make some decision. And the decision that you make is going to influence what the outcome of your life is going to be. And chapter 28 is a chapter that says, if you obey the Lord, if you follow what the Lord wants you to do, you're going to be blessed. But if you don't follow what He wants you to do, if you turn away from Him, you're going to be cursed. And that's what Deuteronomy 28 is about. And the, and the thrust of Deuteronomy 28 uh, really capitalizing the fact that most of us tend to do the wrong thing, he focuses on the curse. And so we have the consequences of the choices that we make in chapter 28. In chapter 29, we talked the last time we were together on did you get the message? And Moses talked about the reality of the human heart is that it's very easy for us to sit in a crowd and we listen to words being taught and we listen to what someone's trying to get across to us. We know that they're trying to tell us the right thing to do, but a lot of us don't listen. We don't get the message. Remember the last time we were together and we asked, did you get the message? And I talked about a CD message where it was playing the CD, the music was there, but we weren't hearing it because we weren't tuned in. That's chapter 29, so you should never forget. 28, 
consequences. Chapter 29, did you get the message? Get the message. Now, chapter 30 is decision time. Let's open up there. And Moses on the plains of Moab is challenging his people. He's saying it is decision time. Only he moves them to make the decision in a very interesting way. He looks way into the future. In fact, he looks down through hundreds of years of Israelite history, all the Old Testament history, probably, and I'm certain, right into modern history. Moses describes the history of the Jewish people and how it will ultimately turn out. That's what he does in the first half of the chapter. His purpose for doing this is that he wants every one of us to learn from the example of others. In other words, as you're hearing Deuteronomy chapter 30, you can look at the choices that other people made. And that's what Moses wants to get across, even to the people he was speaking to in Moab. He's saying, I'm going to tell you what the history of the nation is going to be. I'm going to tell you the way that people are going to react as a nation. He's not telling the way an individual Israelite will react, but he is telling what the norm of the nation is going to be. So it's not a locked-in fatalism. It's not like someone's cursed and they couldn't do anything about it. But Moses, as inspired of God, knows what the history is going to be in the future. Now, we have the incredible opportunity. We can look back. We're not on the plains of Moab looking forward, looking, at, uh, looking forward to this predictive prophecy. We can look back at hundreds of years of Israelite history. And that history teaches us some very important lessons about our own life. Because Moses isn't just speaking to the children of Israel, some ancient people, or even to the modern Jewish people. He is speaking to them, but he's also speaking to us, as we're going to find out in Romans chapter 10. So we begin the chapter with a lesson from history. That's verses 1 through 10. Let's look at them. A lesson from history. When all these blessings and curses that I have set before you come upon you, what Moses is saying that you go through your history, you're going to experience as a people the blessings of God. There are going to be some time periods like King David when you obey the Lord and you'll be blessed. Like the early period of Solomon's reign and you're going to be blessed. There's going to be periods when you go down into the pits like under Manasseh. And Manasseh is going to worship all the idols and all the material things and all the immorality of the Canaanite world. But then there's going to be a revival in Josiah. There's going to be a renewal and Josiah is going to call the people back. And once again, there's going to be blessing. In other words, there's going to be this oscillation back and forth between blessing and cursing. And Moses tells them that at the very beginning of their history. Then he says this. When all these blessings and curses that I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart, you take them to heart. The phrase here literally means, and you finally get some common sense into your life. What Moses is saying is this, and the next line he's going to tell them, you're going to take it to heart in the places where the Lord God disperses you among the nations. Now what is that talking about? Moses is predicting that the children of Israel aren't going to obey the command of the Lord, and what's going to happen to them? Tell me. They're going to be what? Are they going to be able to live there by the shores of Lake Galilee? Are they going to be able to see Jordan roll? Are they going to be able to be in the city of Jerusalem? What's going to happen to them because they disobey the Lord? They're going to be dispersed. They're going to be exiled. 
They're going to be taken from their beloved homeland, and they're going to be taken all over the planet, as we develop in the next few verses. And Moses predicts that. It's an incredible prediction. You see, Moses predicted that in 722, the Assyrians would come down, and the Assyrians would take all the ten northern tribes. Remember, we have the ten tribes dispersed, and that's the fall of the northern kingdom. And the dominant tribe of the northern kingdom was the tribe of Ephraim. So that was the northern kingdom. And they're all in captivity, 722. They, they went into exile all over the ancient world, primarily, though, up in Nineveh, in that area around Syria. In 586, the southern kingdom lasted a few more years. But in 586, Nebuchadnezzar's armies come down, and you read about, even in Daniel chapter 1, you read about all the cream of the crop being taken from the city of Jerusalem, and they're taken into exile in Babylon. And then you read in 2 Kings about the rest of the nation, the rest of Judah, being taken into captivity. So 586, the Jewish people are dispersed. And then remember how the people came back under Zerubbabel. Remember that name? And under Ezra and Nehemiah, the people came back. And for 400 years, the Lord got them ready for the Messiah. And then the Messiah was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and Jesus Christ that we worship together today was born into the world. But what did the Jewish people do? And we're going to talk about that today. They rejected him. As a nation, they rejected him. The Jewish friends that I grew up with in New Jersey were not worshipers of Jesus Christ. And that really is a really big question. Why not? Why didn't they believe in him? Why didn't they respond to him? And remember what, what the nation yelled. Not what, there were many, many Jewish people that believed in Jesus, but the nation yelled, let his blood be on us and on our children. And in 70 AD, history tells us that Titus' armies came down and devastated the city of Jerusalem and tore the city apart and scattered the Jews all over the world. And they've been scattered ever since until the state of Israel was born. And now we've been living in a world where the Jewish people have a homeland again. Now Moses, that's just a thumbnail sketch of the history of Israel. And that's what Moses is talking about when he says this. He says that in the land where you are dispersed, if you will come to your senses, that word take them to heart means if you will come to your senses. And when you and your children, verse 2, return to the Lord your God, and you obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything that I command you today. I want you to see what Moses is calling for. He's not calling for joining churches. He's not calling for a renewal of religion. He's saying when you finally wake up and you begin to listen to what God wants to say to you and you begin to respond to your heart, that's when God's going to begin to really do some great things for you again. He says, then the Lord your God, in verse 3, will restore your fortunes, and he will have compassion. It's a beautiful word. It means that he'll have like a, a womb-like love for you. He will give his mercy to you. He will be tender towards you again. And he will gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, and from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers. That's back to the land of Canaan. 
He'll bring you back to the land that Abraham walked in, that Isaac and Jacob uh, walked around the countryside in and built their tents in. He's going to bring you back to the land of David. It's the land between the, uh, there and the nestled in the, in the land between Egypt and Mesopotamia. That's the land they're going to come back to. He will bring you back to the land that belonged to your fathers and, will take, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. Then the Lord your God is going to do something very specific. After they gathered into the land, the Lord God says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your lives, with your life. This whole prediction of Israel coming back is a tremendous affirmation to my own faith. How about you? Because just think about the history of the Jewish people, exiled in 722, exiled in 586, coming back 400 years, and then exiled again in 70, dispersed all over the world. You study secular history and you read about the Crusades and, and the Jews being butchered as, as the Crusaders would come upon Jewish towns and just kill them by the hundreds. You read about Philip II and the Spanish Inquisition and, and, and Jews just had to a, had a flee from the kingdom of Spain and they flee, fled into northern Africa and they were butchered by the thousands. And then you follow that history. Every land they go, every place they go, they become the wandering Jew. They're able to get settled, able to get going in business, able to become prosperous. And then all of a sudden, something, this anti-Semitism rises up and this tremendous murderous violence comes against them and they're butchered. And then you have that incredible modern story of the establishment of the state of Israel. And you watch the British in World War I with General Allenby winning the land of Canaan and, and, and finally and, and getting the British rule over it. And you begin to have the Balfour declarations and, and these early promises that the Israel is going to be able to have a land. And then you have, because of the, the relationship with the Arab world, the British begin to renege on the promises. And you begin to move towards the end of World War II, and it's only the terrible Holocaust and the terrible pain of six or seven million Jews being killed. And all that agony finally gave birth to the, king, to the nation of Israel. And the people were finally able to go home. And now there's about four or five million Jews that live in that land. There's about 17 million Jews that live around the world. And so now we're in a period where the majority are scattered, but a few are coming back. What an incredible prophecy that, that Moses, in 1400 B.C., was able to predict that this miracle would take place in the nation of Israel, an ancient nation that was clobbered by the international community that would be dispersed all over the world Moses predicted there would come a time when they would come back, when they would be regathered, no matter how far they might be scattered, but they would come back. Incredible fulfillment of prophecy. And that becomes a great affirmation to my own faith today. But something that we need to be in prayer about for the Jewish people, right now, the nation of Israel is back in the land. They have their Knesset and they have their, their government but they're a nation in many ways that's very antagonistic, incredibly antagonistic towards Jesus Christ and towards any kind of an idea that the Old Testament flows into the New Testament. And there's tremendous opposition, but there's also tremendous dialogue going on and opportunities especially for personal witness. 
We had some kids that this summer were traveling in Israel and on beaches and in different places like that, just carrying on conversations with Israelis, talking about the Messiah. They loved to use their English. And there was a tremendous openness toward trying to have discussions about some of the things that we're talking about today, about how the Old Testament is fulfilled, possibly in Jesus Christ, and tremendous opportunities to share the faith. It's very possible that we're beginning to see some of the, the early stages of what Moses is, going to t is talking about is going to happen in the nation of Israel. Ultimately, he says, ultimately, he says, God is going to do a very special thing. He's already done the first stage of a special thing in bringing the people from their dispersion, bringing them back into the land. That's a miracle. But there's another miracle that we need to pray about. And that's for their heart to have something done to it. Look what it says in the next verse. It says in verse 6, The Lord your God. Now, no one else can do this. You know, DeBakey's a great heart surgeon, and we all were enamored when we had a heart transplant. But a physical heart transplant is nothing compared to what this verse is talking about. This verse, Moses is predicting the Lord your God is going to do something that only the Lord your God can do. He will circumcise your hearts. He will not only circumcise your hearts, but he's going to circumcise the hearts of your descendants, the hearts of your children. Why? So that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and that you might live. Now, that's the heartbeat of this chapter. Now, I want you to think about what he's saying. This whole imagery of God is going to circumcise hearts is one of the most powerful images. It's used in Jeremiah, it's used in the New Testament again. In fact, we're going to find out that Paul says we need to have our hearts circumcised as well. What does it mean? If you were all Jews, every one of you, as soon as you mentioned circumcision, if you were Jewish people, you would respond to that. Because that would be at the heartbeat of your culture. In fact, in the ancient world, it was the sign of the covenant. On the eighth day, the little boy would be taken to the rabbi a very special rabbi. That rabbi would take a very sharp knife and he would cut off the foreskin of that little Israelite boy. And it shows us how God gets right into the, right into the center of life. and He's not embarrassed about life. You see, often you come to church and, and I was, as a kid, I was, they'd always talk about circumcision. I, I never had any idea what they were talking about. You know, what, what in the world is circumcision? And I'd ask my dad about it and he'd get all embarrassed. And you ask your mother about it, she'd even get more embarrassed. You stop and think about it, it's about protection from disease. It's also about an incredibly increased sensitivity because God wants you to live. Circumcision from a physical standpoint protected Israel, especially in their reproductive ability, and made certain that Israel would be able to fulfill, be fruitful and multiply because the, the operation the Lord made them perform on their little boys as a sign of the covenant, protected hygienically, protected from disease. But it also was a tremendous symbol of vulnerability and sensitivity. Because for a man, that's the most delicate area of his life. And one of the most sensitive areas. And what God is saying is this. You need to have a sensitive heart spiritually. And Moses drives the message home. And it drove the message home in my own heart this week. I have to ask myself as I teach you the word of God, 
Is my heart circumcised today? Or is there a flab of insensitive skin that's over it? Or is there, is there excess skin that keeps me from really being sensitive to what God wants to do in my life? How about you? You see, as you sit here, there's two different hearts here. There's one heart that, that doesn't beat for God, doesn't respond to God, doesn't respond to love, doesn't respond to truth, doesn't respond to right, doesn't respond to God's morality, doesn't respond to the teaching of the word. You see, that can be a small child that's come. It can be an older person. It all has to do with our heart. In other words, Moses understands that the basic condition of the human heart is that it has a hardened exterior excess flab on it, spiritually, that doesn't respond. And what God is saying is that throughout the course of the history of Israel, and the Old Testament documents this, they had the right information. They had the right revelation. They had the right teaching from the Word of God. You know what? No one paid attention to it. Hardly anybody obeyed it. You know why? Because their hearts were scarred. Their hearts were insensitive. I can change the imagery a little bit. When you have heart trouble, what happens is your heart loses the blood. And it can happen just for a few seconds of time. And when that heart muscle loses that blood flow from the capillaries, that part of your heart dies. That's what we mean by a, a heart attack. That sensitive area of your heart where the blood's supposed to flow suddenly becomes a dead area. If it happens to enough of your heart, we lose. We lose our ability to live. Some of you have had bypass surgery. And one of the greatest things in bypass surgery is if the cardiologist can come to you and say that we caught the blockage before there was any scarring done to the heart. Why is he saying that? Because what it means is that we caught things in time, we got the blood flow going again so that your heart has not become insensitive. It's still strong and it's still beating with life and there's no dead area. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that we can make your heart healthy again by re rekindling the blood supply to it. When someone needs a heart, when it means that their heart has become so scarred, it has become so insensitive, the blood flow has been cut off to it so long that the thing just doesn't respond anymore. It's just dead tissue. And that's why in extreme heart patients, we have to put a whole new heart in there. Now that's what God does, because spiritually every one of us are terminal heart patients. Every one of us have cut off the flow of spiritual life through our insensitivity and not listening and not responding that our spiritual hearts become cold. And just like Israel, the norm of our lives is that we don't love Jesus. We don't love his word. We don't obey him. The basic tendency of our life, the normal human tendency of my life and yours is our heart is dead. It's calloused. The blood of spiritual life doesn't flow through it. You see, in chapter 10 of this book, Moses challenged the people of Israel and says, I want you to circumcise your hearts. Moses says, I want you to circumcise your own hearts. When we get to chapter 30, he doesn't say, I want you to circumcise your heart. Who does he say is going to circumcise your heart? He says, God is going to do it. 
You see, that's the, the great transition that takes place in the book of Deuteronomy. You see, the book of Deuteronomy shows us how to live according to the law, and it challenges us about the goodness of God's law and the blessing of God's law. But when we get to the culmination of the book, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses recognizes that in your history, as you try to obey the law, as the Israelites try to obey the Ten Commandments, they're not going to make it. They're going to experience the curses, and they're going to be scattered everywhere. But then a miracle is going to take place. And God, rather than calling upon you to circumcise your heart, God's going to circumcise your heart himself. See, some of you sit here this morning and say, well, Dave, I, I, I want to really love Jesus. I want to really have a hunger for his word. I want to build my life on him, but my heart is just dull. And some of you listen to Satan when you feel like that, and when Satan says, well, man, God will never want you, man, if that's the way your heart is, if you're that dull of heart and, and you're bored and you're just not into this spiritual thing, then, man, God's going to just ax you. I mean, how would God ever accept you when, when you're like that? You need to get your heart right. Then you can come to God. You know what God says to you? God says, you be honest with me. You tell me exactly the way your heart is. You talk to me about what's really going on and, and the coldness that's there and the, the unresponsiveness that's there. And then you ask me, you cry out to me, you ask me to give you a heart transplant. And God's the only one that can do that. A spiritual heart transplant. Do you find yourself in need of one of these? As Dave just reminded us, God alone is able to give a new heart. God's Son does not challenge us to assume more self-reliance. Instead, He moves us toward Christ-reliance. Dave will be teaching more about this interesting concept of heart circumcision on our next broadcast.